Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health, episode number 68. Man, I am like burning right the fuck through these. I got the author and the mighty Josh Sabalski with me today. Hopefully I said that right. You're one of the few who actually did. <laughs> you know, you couldn't, I, wait, you couldn't wait one more episode for me. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Damn. I really didn't. You know, it was funny at the uh, LPPA convention. Um, every time they said 69, me and my brother, like when we were doing counting votes, we had to, woo! Had to do one of those. <laughs> just, I, I couldn't let the child in me go. You know, there's some no. things that you just can't fucking can't let it go. Um, how you doing tonight, man? What's uh, what's going on up there in Canada? Oh, you know, just clearing out truckers, all that fun stuff. Uh, I'm good, dude. I'm real good. I'm actually I'm, I'm pretty thrilled that I'm 68. You know, I would have preferred 66. Because of Marilyn Mew, but I'll take 68 Yarmer Yager any day. Oh, man. What? You're going to be so disappointed. I mean, you know, being from Pittsburgh, like people here in Pittsburgh fucking love sports, and people outside of Pittsburgh love Pittsburgh sports. I'm not a sports guy at all. At all? Nope. Nope. A dude who lifts every single day and, you know, considers himself pretty athletic, not a sports guy. That's insane. You should move up to Ottawa because no one in Ottawa likes sports either. And uh, <laughs> I love them. So I should, uh, I sh- we'll trade houses. Yeah. I, depending on how it is up there. But I don't know. You don't want to know. Hold on. Hold on. I was entertaining that for a second, but I fucking hate the cold. Dude, it's cold up there. It's cold as shit up here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, you know what? To be fair, we're, um, my fiance and I were just in Florida. We were talking about it a little bit off air, but uh, it was 40 degrees down there was that saturday morning i'm like what the fuck is going on i'm wearing a hoodie in florida i've swam in december like jumped in a pool in 80 degrees in the middle of december it's march why the fuck is it 40 degrees out yeah that's bonkers dude i went to pittsburgh in 2015 in in december uh for my bachelor party and it was at least 80 when we were there, like I, I walked around in shorts for one of the days that we were there, but we went to a pens game and I went to the game in a t-shirt at uh-huh. night in December. So yeah, I don't know what's going on in Florida, but my, my cousin's actually down in Florida right now as well. Mm-hmm. And he would post pictures of, he would go out for walks in the morning and there'd be frost on the ground. And I'm like, yeah, there's frost here too. <laughs> you know, you left Ottawa. There's plenty of frost here. You could have just stayed here, saved your money, but yeah. you know, yeah. there's like frost. There's like eight inches of frost here. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably probably something like that here too. <laughs> yeah, man, my God. So um, before I ask you how you kind of came to the Liberty Movement, because I actually haven't heard you kind of elaborate on that in any other shows. Um, how was the trucker strike for you? And were you anywhere near it? And what was like the sentiment around it? I haven't talked to anybody that like was near this. So I'm really curious about what you, uh, what your experience kind of was. Um, yeah, so I was near it several times. Uh, we had some run-ins with some different people. We'll say, well, we also had some run-ins with, um, the police after they cleared out as well. And when I say run-ins, like for the most part, it was small stuff, nothing, you know, nothing that impacted my life all that much. Uh, the scent, uh, well, I'll talk about that first. So we, um, when they arrived, you know, I had some run-ins with them at like, I would run into them at like a coffee shop or they'd be in the drive through and stuff like that. And generally the sentiment at the time when they first came here, like for most of the people in Ottawa, they're like, yeah, let them come, let them do their thing, you know, let them protest, whatever. Um, it wasn't a big deal. Um, as it started to sort of manifest and get bigger and bigger, that attitude within Ottawa kind of changed. Now, Ottawa is the capital of Canada. It is, you know, a government city. Um, but yeah, at the time, I was really surprised. I was like, wow, they're, they're very welcoming to this because I think a lot of people were, were kind of fed up with everything that was going on at that point in time. Um, so, yeah, even, a, you know, a city with as many government employees as Ottawa had was, was pretty welcoming of the whole thing um, as they sort of stayed for a while that started to change um for me i didn't i had one bad run-in with them that kind of you know pissed me off um i was going to get food and a bunch of them went into a restaurant you know unmasked and of course in ontario we have a mask mandate and uh just basically you know yelling and screaming at minimum wage employees and the part of me was like you know, it's kind of their right to yell and complain. But also the other part of me was like the sort of the empathetic part was like, but why do you got to take it out on these people? Like the, mm -hmm. the minimum wage people. And I get it. They're just doing their job. And that's, you know, we always kind of equate that to like the Nazis and stuff like that. But I looked at it. I'm like, these people really don't have a choice but to enforce this stupid thing. So I kind of see their side. I kind of see the other side, too, where you're like, I don't want to wear the mask. And it's like yeah you know they're kind of dicks about it so i was just like that sort of rubbed me the wrong way like they're, you're really i get your frustration i understand it but you're really putting it in the wrong place you know screaming at a minimum wage employee so that kind of bugged me um because i really don't like yelling at you know I've, I've worked in retail and i've worked in customer service when i was younger i really don't like people no matter what the reason that scream at somebody <clears throat> who's making minimum wage it just always bugged me so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way um and uh, as it went on, that kind of happened a lot more. Now, there's a lot of it that was played out in the media that was total BS. Um, and you could kind of spot that a mile away. But there were instances where people who were involved in that whole thing were jerks to, you know, average citizens. And I wasn't really cool with that. Um, I know a guy who's, you know, for a Canadian is super based. You know, he's got a uh, concealed carry permit, you know, big gun guy, uh, very much like you know, I would say a libertarian, he had a run in with them, um, at a tow truck yard. And he was basically like, they were, they wouldn't let him go into this tow truck yard. They're like, they were essentially blocking it because he had to go and impound a vehicle that had nothing to do with the trucker thing. Um, and basically he was like, look guys, he's like, either get out of my way or I'm going to call the police. And they just kept blocking him and blocking him. And eventually he's like, okay. So he called the police. Um, 
police came and they're like, what do you want us to do with him? He's like, just put him in the car till I'm done what I got to do. So they went, they police put him in, put the guys that they were blocking him in the car, did the whole thing. You know, he went and did his thing, got the vehicle hooked up. They had to take away, took off as he was leaving. He's like, yeah, let him go. I don't, I'm not pressing charges or anything like that. I don't really care. But like for him to be that pissed off with them, it kind of sort of echoed what the sentiment was among the people who originally were supporters. A lot of people who lived here got really annoyed by the whole thing. Um, now at the end of the day, what happened, we didn't agree with either. You know, what Trudeau pulled as far as, you know, he basically broke the law to get them out of there. We didn't agree with that either. A lot of people were like, no, I don't think that was right either. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like, I just think everybody was wrong. I also think <laughs> the truckers, and this is not popular, but they were wrong to actually come where here first. I think, um, if you know anything about Canada, so Canada's broken up into provinces. So Trudeau actually never locked down any of the provinces. It was actually the premiers who did it. So Trudeau basically was like, here's the money if you want it to, you know, lock them down, but you know, you're not, you don't have to. And basically all the premiers were like, yeah, we will. So, uh, a lot of conservative premiers did it. My premier is conservative. He locked us down. We're still in a, you know, some of the biggest mandates in the world still to this point. Um, so yeah, he, he did that. And that's where they should have went first. Like if your gripe is with lockdowns and mandates and stuff like that, the biggest ones were done by the provinces, not necessarily Trudeau. And I, I don't like Justin Trudeau, but that's just the reality of it. That's sort of the nuance, but everything that played out on TV, whether it be on corporate press or on a lot of like alternative media, a lot of it was slanted in a way that sort of favored whatever side was doing it. The truth really was somewhere in the middle. Um, but I still don't think what they did to get them out of there was right. Um, I still think you're, you know, you're free to protest, but don't harass private citizens is basically how I feel. And there was a lot of that too. So I kind of think everybody was wrong in the whole thing. And I don't think it was beneficial to Canada either. Um, because you know, when it started the support for like the job that Trudeau had done was at like 30% and recent polls show that it's like closer to 50% now. Mm. So his approval has actually gone up since this whole thing, because a lot of people were like, good, I hate them, get them out of here. So it wasn't good for Canada for the world, maybe because a lot of other countries could point to it and be like, look at them, you know, they're rising up. So internationally it was probably good but for canada it was not i don't think so that was that's kind of my take very nuanced very yeah. much not in line with what anybody else thinks about you know the trekker protest but that's sort of what i saw when you know living here yeah you got a little bit more skin in the game in that regard so um i i knew like had cursory knowledge of it but i didn't do any kind of deep dive but honestly no that really surprises me and i kind of agree that like hey look i get it this minimum wage worker, this person standing at the grocery store or working at McDonald's, they don't want to wear the fucking mask either. They're just doing it so they don't get screamed at. And what are they going to do? Make a big giant scene about wearing a mask? Like, I, I get yeah. fighting against the mandates and saying this shouldn't be mandated, but like, what's the hill you're willing to die on? Is masks really the hill that you're willing to die on? Some people, yeah. And I would too, kind of depending on the context, but like, the, the 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 minimum wage worker at a restaurant that like i said they're not making you put on a mask they're asking that you do it so that way they don't get yelled at they're just looking after their own ass and like you said earlier people are going to compare this to the nazis or communist regimes i get it but at the same time you know have a little bit of nuance here let's grant a, a little bit on each side um and that's really interesting that the more right-leaning um 
governors or whatever the heck they are in premiers. Canada. Premiers, premiers, yeah. Premiers. God, that's such a weird name for a mm-hmm. government employee. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it, it's kind of weird that the right leaning ones locked down because down here there's a lot of right wingers that kind of champion being against it. Although my fear now out of this is, especially with so many libertarians coming out saying, I'm, I'm, you know, for anybody who's against the COVID regime. Well, be careful what you wish for, because there's going to be a whole lot of people against the COVID regime that may not have been against it initially, but they see this as an opportunity to get votes. So they're going to campaign like they were against it, and like they're going to end it when in reality, most of it's gone, but like it could still be used as a tool either way. Like I'm sure in California, it's still pretty ugly. In New York, it's still kind of ugly. Pennsylvania, it's mostly gone. Like um, Philly, I think has a mask mandate, but like everywhere else really doesn't. But this is where the problem kind of lies now is that now people can use this as the gift that keeps on giving. I've said that from the beginning is that COVID is kind of the gift that keeps on giving because now people could say, oh, well, I've been against vaccine mandates and, you know, lockdowns from the beginning. But then you look at their state and they lock down their state. You're giving a lot of people kind of dry tender to light a match with, in my opinion. Yeah, it's funny you say that because my premier has said pretty much exactly that. So Doug mm-hmm. Ford is our premier and he's almost said verbatim what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, well, I was always kind of against it, but I just went with like the medical professionals. And it's like, dude, you you ran with this thing and loved every second of it. Mm-hmm. And now you're just changing your tune because it's, you know, politically it's unpopular. So, yeah, like people like that. You know, need to be held to account. The problem is, is like for him being a conservative, you know, he's got an election in three months. So now he has to pretend that he's a conservative again mm-hmm. um, so that conservatives will actually vote for him. He better hope a lot of people have short memories and forget the last two years, which honestly, if you know conservatives, they probably will because they have extremely short memories. <laughs> like they, you know, it's it's funny how short their memories actually are because they always rip on, you know, liberals for having a short memory. But conservatives memories just as short, you know, how many of them voted for Donald Trump after he did exactly nothing of what he said he would do? Well, it's, uh, it's know, absolutely hysterical. I see all my right leaning friends sharing about inflation and talk about inflation and everybody saying Biden inflation. It's like, we probably haven't even felt that yet. No. Like you realize that all that money that was printed was under your guy and you guys mm-hmm. all railed against all the pork and all the bills, understandably so but your guy still signed it and nobody criticized him for it. Nobody that I know ever criticized him for it. They would say, Oh, look, the government's doing all this, but they would never say, but our guy signed this and nobody will learn their lesson because in 2024, I understand the Biden regime is terrible. It's definitely worse than the Trump regime, but you got to understand how we got to this point. If you're not willing to kind of go to the source of the problem, then you're going to end up back right where you were because you, you didn't form any kind of solution. And I think that's going to be the problem going forward is that now we're just looking for anybody to get us out of this. But, you know, if you're going to go back to the guy who got us into this as the guy to get us out of this, how do you know that he's not going to do the same thing when something else comes up or that he's going to have a solution to get us out of, you know, what we're into in the first place? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything that we're feeling right now, or at least in the States, everything that you're feeling is it's Trump's inflation, right? Mm -hmm. Biden's inflation won't be felt for another probably year or two, at least like this is all, this is all on Trump. And I know they love to blame Biden. I would too, but it ain't him. It's not his inflation yet. It will be. And you know, it's coming. 
but yeah, right now it's Donald Trump. And yeah, you know, it's funny because they, they all talk about like looking forward to 2024 and you see a lot of, you know, Trump supporters being like, oh, you know, he was friendly with Putin and he would have never been a puppet, you know, the and, you know, he wouldn't have let Putin walk all over them the way, you know, Biden is and stuff like that. But then you look to the way Trump handled Saudi Arabia and you're like, well, he was a, you know, he did exactly that. With Saudi, he he with turned out to be a Zionist and, you know, pro-Saudi yeah. Arabia. And mm-hmm. it's so funny that I see all these libertarians, or I shouldn't say libertarians, but a lot of right-wingers saying, oh, we look so weak right now. You guys were anti-war a couple of years ago, right? You know, Trump was the anti-war candidate, quote unquote, you know, yeah. killed killed more people by drone strikes in his first two years and Obama did in eight years. But, you know, we, we can leave that aside. We can never mind that. Um, you know, we forgot ending a war or, or ending a genocide in Yemen for literal weapons sales. And then we armed Ukraine to the teeth, which then they used to fire on Russia, which now caused this whole invasion. But, oh, it never would have happened because Trump's a tough guy. You mean tough as in the way that every time the military industrial complex told him to roll over, he played ball and he rolled the fuck over. That's the kind of tough guy you're looking for? Let's not forget that they used arming the Ukraine to get him impeached, too. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and or it's not, not like, sorry, not arming the right. Ukraine. And the funniest part is, yeah. is that we're supposed to believe he's this big, bad, tough guy. But what happened with that? He's still getting the weapons anyways. Yep. And yep. once again, now they literally use those weapons to fire over to the Donbass region, which now has caused this entire shit show to play out. And you really think Putin would have cared about the guy in the White House to go take over Ukraine just because it was Trump? Probably still would have did what he was going to do. I think people have this like wild projection in their head that things would be so much different. But I think people forget and don't realize just how heavy the inertia of government really is. And Trump was absolutely helpless to do anything to stop it. Probably wouldn't, it probably would have been a lot worse under Hillary Clinton, but I don't think Trump would have slowed anything down. And if he would have got reelected, then what would have people said? He, he would have found some way to spin the inflation in his favor. But I mean, Joe Biden's doing the same exact fucking thing. Now it's just blue MAGA. All you know, you could like ad lib the talking points almost from each speech, and they'll like fit completely together. People think that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are so far apart, but really they're they're really not that far apart in effect and in policy and rhetoric. They're very, 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 very different, but in policy, mm. not really much different. But I, that goes back to the point of just kind of the inertia and the weight of government keeping things rolling. I had a debate, well, not a debate, but like a conversation with somebody a few months ago. And I'm like, can you explain the difference between the two? Like in the way that they govern? Cite three differences. And they're like, uh, and like they stammered and stuttered for a good, you know, two, three minutes. And they really, they're like, yeah, I don't really know. I'm like, I know like the way they campaigned was different, you know, because they said they were going to do all these things like, you know, forget, forgive student debt and legalize weed and like all these things that never happen. And we're going to get out of Yemen. And, you know, all of this stuff that that never occurred. But you go back to Trump's campaign and Trump basically, you know, almost campaigned the way Biden did in 2020, like in 2016. You know, we're going to, you know, drain the swamp. We're going to cut, you know, the military industrial complex. We're going to legalize weed. We're going to, you know, all of these things. And Biden basically, you know, he almost replicated that in 2020. It's kind of wild to see. And they do they do govern in very similar way. Yeah. But just their rhetoric is different. And it's yeah. not that different either. Right. Um, so I guess this is a good place to uh, kind of jump off here. But uh, what brought you to libertarianism? Like I said, I've um, 
I've listened to a couple podcasts featuring you, but um, I don't think you ever elaborate on what kind of brought you to libertarianism because Canada, I don't know shit about Canada other than the fact that it's gold and they say like A <laughs> up there, but like that, that's like it. Oh, and I love uh, Crown Royal. Crown Royal is my favorite kind of whiskey. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, Crown's good. Um, you know, initially what brought me to it. So I, I grew up in a, a very conservative, probably the most conservative part of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I really had a different mindset than everybody I grew up with. Um, even, you know, the liberals that were around me, like my teachers and, you know, a lot of kids I went to school with who were liberal as well. I was completely different than all of them. And I, I recognized that when I was young, I was probably like 15 or 16 when I realized I don't really think like either of, you know, these two groups. Um, and then I, I went away to college and I got into journalism. Um, so I went to school for journalism. I started to work in journalism. And uh, one of the first things that I really saw that bugged me was just how things got spun when you work in journalism. So you'd cover certain stories and you'd sort of see the spin that got put on it to you know, sensationalize it and all this stuff. Um, and I broke into journalism at a time where the Iraq war was starting. Um, so I can remember sitting in newsrooms and us getting like press releases and stuff like that. And being told, yeah, report on this, like just basically vomit what you see on the page in your own words. I remember just being like, no, (laughs) like, I don't know that this is true. Shouldn't we like check into this? And they're like, this is in Iraq. (laughs) Like, how are you going to go and verify this? Like, you have to just trust that the information is, is accurate. I can remember like I was 18 at the time and I was just like, trust that it's accurate. Just blindly believe that you know what you see is true and then i really sort of developed this i don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy froze up a little bit there um yeah you were at uh developed uh i'm guessing an unhealthy uh distrust or a healthy distrust for journalism or something like that because it literally cut off right there sorry (laughs) yeah i i was saying it was a healthy or maybe an unhealthy uh, distrust of the information that I was getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't want to blindly parrot everything that I saw, which unfortunately was not great in journalism at the time. Cause that was pretty much what everybody was doing. Um, so then I, you know, I worked a bit in the business. I, you know, went to school with a lot of people who are, um, big time commentators in Canada. Now, uh, people that have, you know, pretty high profile jobs. Uh, one of them is the Washington correspondent basically for Canada, um, so like I went to school with her and we used to have arguments about this stuff and, uh, I would have arguments with a lot of people. So eventually I got sick of, of just constantly, you know, not buying into whatever. And I, I left the journalism business. Um, and I kind of carried that with me through the years and it really bugged me through the Bush years because I knew that they were, you know, full of shit when it came to Iraq, um, or at least I suspected so. And then, uh, you know, by 2007, we was pretty much known that they lied. Um, and that was when John McCain was, you know, running for, uh, the Republicans. I didn't actually know about Ron Paul back then, believe it or not. I hadn't, I just saw John McCain as like one of the the people who was, um, the most popular. I was like, gross. I was like, Oh, who's this, who's on this other side. And I saw it was, you know, Obama and Obama was really talking about being against the wars and stuff like that, you know, got to end Afghanistan, got to end Iraq and like all this stuff. And I was like, man, this is my guy right here. So much for that (laughs) guys. Oh God, this guy's spitting the truth. And then, you know, about a year into his presidency, you know, I don't even think it was a year, but Libya happened. And I remember just being like, Oh, 
like what a wow he lied about all of this and uh you know maybe a year or two later that was when all the serious stuff happened i was like this doesn't sound right <laughs> like listening to the serious stuff and being like i don't i don't think that's true and sort of my my journalistic instincts started to kick in and then um i happened to see this movie so i was i'm a big movie guy if you can't tell um i happened to see <laughs> a, a movie trailer that was about like a uh basically like you know the the american government is institute martial law and like all this stuff and it was this trailer called the gray state um so i got super interested in this i was like oh this looks like a cool movie and then i found out it wasn't a movie yet um so i got kind of interested in that and the guy who was doing all that was a big ron paul guy so i was like who who the hell's ron paul and then i started to follow ron paul and then of course you know i saw the giuliani moment i saw everything to do with 2012 and i was like man this guy rocks like maybe he's you know what i thought obama was and then i watched them screw him and uh that was sort of my introduction to to libertarianism and then he started to talk a lot about libertarianism after 2012 and that was sort of when i got introduced to it and then uh i fell out of it in 2016 because i was you know following the libertarian party i don't know if you followed the libertarian party in 2016. yeah i had uh voted for gary johnson but i wasn't uh insanely familiar with stuff back then i consider myself a libertarian but like wasn't very uh closely involved i was just like okay well this guy's a libertarian i'm a libertarian so you know l yeah he's the he's the guy yeah yeah <laughs> a lot of people did that um there was this moment in the libertarian debates where they were talking about like you know licensing and stuff like that the toaster bunch of, yeah so the toaster <laughs> the toaster moment I heard the toaster moment. I was like, oh my God, this is so cringe. And then Gary Johnson's like, well, I don't know. Like maybe you need, and everybody booed him. I'm like, oh, I'm out. Like, I didn't agree with what Gary Johnson said, but I'm like, this is embarrassing. I'm done with this. I'm out. And then about a year later, uh, it was um, Josh Smith who reached out to me and messaged me. And he had seen me post something on Facebook, like in, in a group that we were in. And he's like, hey, you might be interested in this. And he shared the Mises Caucus Facebook group. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And then I joined the group and there was like maybe 90 people in it at the time. And then Michael Heiss messaged me like an hour after I joined it. And he started talking to me about all this stuff. And I was like, oh, like these are people that are kind of like me, like kind of think like me. And then Josh Smith's like, oh, you should watch this video of, of Dave Smith. And it was Dave Smith on Rogan. I watched it. I'm like, oh shit, like these guys think exactly like I do. And then it just snowballed from there. Like I went back and watched a whole bunch of POTP videos, um, you know, got in, started talking with Josh Smith a lot. Um, he was a pretty big influence on me, him and obviously Dave Smith. But um, yeah, that was kind of my reintroduction to it because um, I was sort of lost. And then, yeah, I'm still here. So that's sort of how I found my way. It's kind of kind of long story, but no, I don't know how interesting it is. But <laughs> No, it's, it is interesting. And it seems like that's kind of like the general consensus that uh, most people kind of, you know, find out who Ron Paul is and then kind of get in there. Um, one question that's a little bit earlier back in your story, um, your work as a journalist and working next to people who might be considered corporate press, right? Um, did these people ever come off as just like sincerely bad faith actors or did they just seem kind of like they were convinced and propagandized um probably both really um yeah i would say so uh, there was so some of them were just so driven to succeed in the business that they would have just done anything 
you could have put any script in front of them and, and they would read it, it spin a story anyway, and they would read it. Uh, it's kind of like Ron Burgundy, you know, when you just put the teleprompter in front of him and he's going to read whatever's on the teleprompter. That's sort of how they are. Um, they they don't want to rock the boat because they just want to rise to the top. So that's right. that's a lot of them. Right. They're career driven. Like most people are. Most people want to make as much money as they can be as successful as they can. And that's just sort of, you know, how we live in in this era like careers, you know, and status and money. That's what matters to people. And really, it doesn't matter what they have to do to get there as long as they can get there. Um, it's funny because there was one person who I won't name as I won't out him, but he's very high profile journalist in Canada. And when I went to school with him was extremely uh, critical of the corporate press and was extremely skeptical and everything like that. And, and a very intelligent guy. And I would imagine that he still has that skepticism, despite the fact that he works for them. Um, he took an interesting path because he covers a lot of murder trials. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's covered some pretty high high profile murders here in Canada. So it's interesting that he's still in the corporate press, but he stayed completely out of the p- political spectrum. And he's covered something that, you know, is is more like important journalism. So real journalism, uh, you know, covering trials and things like that and, you know, breaking real stories, not political stories. So um they're so yeah it's kind of a mix of both and then you talked about like bad actors uh people who definitely know what it is that they're doing there's definitely those two um you know people who are ideologues who lean very hard a certain way um and will push that that you know what their personal beliefs are into a story regardless of whether the story warrants it you can always kind of tell too when you read a story Mm -hmm. if somebody's inserted sort of their own editorialized or editorialized yeah. I, th- I think that's how you say it but yeah yeah you could definitely kind of tell that with uh the way you see some certain things typed out so like when you hear critics of the Mises caucus they always say the Mises pack they never say the Mises yeah. caucus they say the Mises pack right um I can't remember who it was it might have been Karen Ann Harlos but somebody said when you're talking to a Republican and they're referring to the Democrat party you hear them say Democrat, right? The Democrat Party. Um, whereas a person who is a Democrat will typically say the Democratic Party, right? There's like these, like you were saying, it's almost like an ideologue. Um, I always like the way Jordan Peterson always brought up how people are like possessed by ideology, where you can kind of find one small thing that these people believe, and then you'll kind of have an idea, like a rough idea of their entire ideology. So like your typical Trump supporter, and I'm not condemning these people or saying anything bad about them but you can just kind of notice the patterns of behavior right so um if this person likes donald trump then typically they're not very fond of china right they're very family oriented perhaps um they want a strong economy back at home they want the border to be secure there's certain patterns that you kind of notice in people's behavior woke leftists you know they believe in transgenderism it's okay to pump hormones of children gender is fluid all this ridiculous stuff but not every single person is going to fall into that category but you can kind of get like a loose approximation when you hear people talk and by certain words that they use yeah absolutely and uh you know that applies to the way people write stories too right Mm -hmm. it's right um there was a story that came out a couple weeks ago that was actually about the trucker convoy um so there was um I don't want to say it was a murder, but it's being investigated as a murder after that on the day that they had broke up the, the trucker convoy. Yeah. Um, 
so some of the local newspapers, so it happened not far from where I lived, like maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes away. Um, so some of the local outlets picked up the story and they made a point to insert in the story that they had left the trucker convoy. Now, when have you ever in the history of news stories seen a story where the detail of where they just left was that important? Like it was front and center in the story. <laughs> it's not like, like, oh yeah, right. they were just they were just at the Batman movie at, you know, the IMAX <laughs> and then they left and then he killed her. Um, right. So it was like, it was blatantly inserted multiple times into this story and people, right. it was, I was, I found it amazing that the amount of people who called it out, called it out. A lot of people were like, this is disgusting. Like, you know, fix your story, blah, blah, blah. Why does this matter? I've never seen you write a story this way. Like people were able to pick it out quick. Um, but yeah, you could tell like what was behind that. Right. Yeah, because our main focus was to say that these are evil Nazi right wingers who left the trucker convoy because evil Nazi right wingers are in the trucker convoy. So they left their evil Nazi right wing trucker convoy to go murder somebody because they're evil right wing Nazis. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's I mean, they didn't say it in the in so many words, obviously. They can't, Mm -hmm. but I mean they're insinuating. They 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 kind of they kind of want to you know, they kind of want the tail to wag the dog, so to say. I've been looking forward to saying that for so long. I keep thinking about that's, it. That's a good one. <laughs> um, you know what's gross, though, about, about that? Like, reading the story, my first instinct was not, oh, like, look how they inserted, you know, their own bias into this whole thing. My whole, my first, you know, reading the story, I was like, how does the victim's family feel reading this? Like, how right. disgusting is that? That, you know, that's what you've made the focal point of the story and not the victim. Like, one thing you learn when you go through journalism is if you ever have to write a story where there's a victim, the focal point of the story should be the victim. It should not be the perpetrator. It should not be any noise that surrounds the story. Your focal point should be the victim because you're telling their story. Like you're their voice because they don't get to have one anymore. Right. And I know a lot of lawyers will say like in the murder trial, like I'm this person's voice, but also the media is their voice too, or at least they're supposed to be. And that's sort of what you know, the, one of the principles of journalism is, is you're the voice of the voiceless when you're telling a story. And sadly that principle has died a long time ago in journalism. It's really unfortunate. Well, I'm definitely clipping that. <laughs> I, I usually try to clip things for the uh, show, but uh, you know, I've never heard it put like that. And it's very, very simple. And I probably should have, I'm just an idiot, but um, that's absolutely true that, you know, you're speaking to the victim and you're speaking for the victim and you should want to, I don't want to say exact emotion from people, but you want to tell their story in a way that makes people feel for their loss and understand, you know, what people are going through. So that way we can, you know, perhaps try to edge society towards somewhere or, you know, something approximating a culture and a society where this is a lot less likely to happen. Right. But when you speak about the, you know, the perpetrator, the criminal, then you don't have that same empathetic feeling, right? You're angry or the news is going to spin it in a way to make you believe whatever narrative they want to tell. Um, you saw this with all of the, you know, the George Floyd stuff, the um, George Zimmerman case and all these racially charged things. And to your point, we should think about the victim and their family, right? Well, what's going to make the victim whole, right? Or the victim's mm-hmm. family whole. Um, some people may disagree on where that ends and where that begins, but we should look at it that way. It shouldn't be a situation of, 
blood sport and we want to enrage people but that seems to be what the media mostly is now is you know we're going to try to get as many people pissed off as we can rather than get people thinking well what's going to make the world a better place yeah i mean george floyd's a massive one right like there was a real opportunity there for change and you know they got the one what's the guy's name um Derek i can't remember yeah Derek chauvin you know they got him great has there been any change though like right. in society other well, than like you know black lives matter got posted on every you know every nba game it got posted all over streets and stuff like that yeah real and, quick you know the, the, the messed up part about that too is that everybody was in agreement i'm sorry to interrupt but this is such an important point everybody was in agreement in that moment i can remember feeling it you know like a, a couple days after like wow everybody agrees that this was horrible literally universally right wingers left wingers everybody was like yeah this guy clearly fucked up and more evidence mm-hmm. came out that it wasn't quite as clear cut like look I, I get it he was resisting arrest and you should know not to put your knee on somebody's neck for fucking nine minutes like it, you got two other dudes with you the dude's handcuffed everybody agreed this was wrong in their training, it says that in, back in like 2014, you can put your knee on somebody's neck and that's a justified way to detain somebody. But at some point, common sense should kick in and you should yeah. say like, hey, maybe we should stop. Maybe this is handled. Um, everyone was in agreement and then it's fucking blew it. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but th- that's such an important point that I-, I think not enough people talk about is that everybody was united in that second. And w- w- like you said, what the hell happened? Well, you know, it got hijacked, really. I mean, that whole that whole thing, you were right, 100%. Everyone was universally like, this was wrong. It was, you know, to me, I, I watched it and I thought it was evil, like what was going on. They didn't, you even watch him like afterwards, like Derek Chauvin picks him up and throws him on a stretcher like he's garbage. Like it was gross. I remember watching it and just having my hands over my mouth and just being like shocked by it. Like I couldn't believe it was actually like I was actually watching someone, you know, have the life squeezed out of them by a police officer. And I was just like thinking at the time, I was like, this is the moment where things are really going to change. And I was, I must have been so naive. I mean, I think two years ago, I was like 34 years old. I shouldn't have been so naive, but I was, I really thought that it was going to be, you know, a positive change that was going to happen. And man, it just got hijacked. Like even something like, um, you know, other groups and other families that were victims were like reaching out um, through like trying to get the media's attention and things like that to bring their story, like Duncan Lemp, for example, like that whole story, the media just completely disregarded that. But the problem is, is the media dictates what the narrative is going to be. And the narrative should have been that police brutality is a major problem in the United States. And it's affecting, yes, heavily, it's affecting minorities. Minorities get screwed over by the police more than anybody. But it's also affecting, you know, poor white people too. Uh, But the media didn't do that. They hijacked the story. And instead of making it about police and police brutality and the use of violence and aggression and things like that, they made it about race. Mm -hmm. And And then you turned off a lot of people by doing that. And it's not because necessarily people are racist. It's because you just completely disregarded a whole bunch of people who are victims. You're like, no, 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 that victim isn't as important as this victim. And the George Floyd thing was disgusting and gross and should have never happened. But that should have been a catalyst for change. And instead, it just, it wasn't. It just really, 
you know, it was used for the media's purposes. The media gained a lot out of it. And there was a lot of people who got rich off that whole thing. You know, a lot of people who developed a lot of wealth out of that whole thing, but it didn't do anything in society. Like it did not unify people. It did not, you know, help end police brutality. There's no been like no, you know, measurable change. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of way, like look at the, what Rand Paul tried to table for Brianna Taylor. And he got like all this pushback. People were like, that's disgusting and blah, blah, blah. But like, and then they'd be upset about the Breonna Taylor story, which is also disgusting. But like, right. he actually tried to put legislation forward, but the media made him out to be like a monster. And, you know, he actually tried to do something. I'm not the biggest Rand Paul fan, but that was an instance where he tried to do something. And the media just, again, hijacked the story and turned it into something that it wasn't and got people, you know, away from what the story should have been, which sucks. Right. It, it was completely hijacked by this Black Lives Matter kind of movement that, was politically expedient for the corporate press and for the left because they're able to say look at how rampant racism is and this is you know an example of systemic racism and like okay yes these things are true to a point right but the problem is that when you just say those kind of catchphrases most people or at least like most right-leaning people will immediately reject whatever you have to say at that point right it's kind of that whole you know being an ideologue kind of deal where um, you have your set, you know, presuppositions about this whole thing. And then as soon as people show you that they may have a different opinion than you, then they're just not going to hear you out. So, you know, why we should have said, well, this peaceful person, yes, he broke the law, but did he deserve to die? Like, and that was honestly, the George Floyd moment was kind of a big waking up a big red pill, if you will. Um, for me personally, because I consider myself a libertarian, but I was still kind of like, okay, well, I was justifying the way that police handle a lot of situations. So I was still listening to a lot of like right-leaning people. And that was kind of like a, a little crack in the armor for me, because after that, I'm like, this was bad and there's literally no defending it. And from there, I started thinking about things more and more and more. And it's like, well, possession charges what the hell is that like you're literally criminalizing peaceful people they own a weapon and isn't it our you know god-given right to defend ourselves so why are we being charged with possession somebody doing drugs they're not harming anybody else it's a victimless crime why are we making criminals out of peaceful people and this could even go as far as vaccine mandates you're making criminals out of peaceful people they do not wish to put a vaccine in their body but you're going to mandate by government that you have to do this. These people are no longer just regular people. They're now criminals. If you do this, Um, when you phrase it like that, at least to me, it it makes it that much more real where you're no longer dealing with, you know, this kind of arbitrary law. It's this person is now a criminal. This person is now subject to the fullest extent of the law and police will be able to kick down the door and make them do whatever needs to be done for them to comply. So if you're not willing to endure all of that or witness the consequences of that, you better watch what you're advocating for to be law. Yeah. It's kind of the amazing thing. It's like the old Michael Malice quote that uh, there's no law so small that police won't kill you to enforce it. I think Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing it, but that's basically the gist of it. Right. Um, and yeah, there, there really isn't. And we sort of saw that with, you know, George Floyd. It was, he passed a fake 20. Right. Allegedly. 
All's that we had don't that, we, like it's allegedly, yeah. Right. All that had to happen was basically, hey, you know, just give whatever you got back. You know, take your counterfeit dollar bill. We'll, hell, we'll give you a fine just so it looks like we did something. And mm-hmm. you know, if you got any drugs on you, you know, maybe we'll take them away or something like that, just so that way it, you know, we look like we did something. I, I'm not saying I agree with that outcome, but versus him dying. <laughs> and it's funny you see so many people say oh he's not an upstanding character yeah i agree and i agree that he shouldn't be made in this martyr like he kind of has been and but you know it's, the, the dude still died he shouldn't have died mm-hmm. and the problem with the left here in this situation is that they literally chose somebody who's flawed as everybody is and has some serious criminal charges for serious things when you uphold somebody like that, then it gives right-wingers the leeway to argue, not necessarily what I'm arguing, but for them to kind of say, well, you're upholding a criminal. So therefore, every time something like this happens, you know, they got to be, they're going to have that doubt in the back of their mind. If you kind of follow what I'm getting at here is that they're going to say that the next time they're going to look for the criminal record on the guy instead of just saying, well, why was this guy, you know, why it was wrong for the police to kill this guy? Like, we're not getting to the heart of the issue. Why was somebody killed? How are we going to make the family whole again? And I get it. There's going to be some situations where you have to stop the aggression, but at the same time, you know, where's that fine line where it's too much and, you know, where's a line of not enough. Clearly in the case of George Floyd, that was too much. And nobody was focused on what makes the victims whole and how can we stop this from happening again? Yeah. It's funny you say, like, I remember having a conversation, you know, a year and a half, something like that ago where somebody was saying basically what you're saying, right? Oh, he was a criminal. You know, he kidnapped a woman and held a gun to her chest and like all this stuff. And I was like, was he doing that? Like the day of, was he in the midst of doing that? Right. Or was he sitting in his car? Like what had he done that day that warranted him to have, you know, four police officers point guns at him, throw him on the ground, handcuff him and suffocate him to death. He wasn't doing anything that day. And they had no way of knowing his past at that point. So everything right. that, you know, those people are saying is really a moot point because right. it was not going on on this day. And what somebody's past is, is their past. Uh, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of heinous stuff who still don't deserve to be treated that way. Like if you've paid your, your debt and you're a peaceful person, we're supposed to believe like as, you know, libertarians and things like that, we believe in, you know, second chances and peace, you know, people can become peaceful and things like that. Um, and we're sort of people who believe in redemption and stuff like that, but then we'll throw things like that, not necessarily us, but you know, people will throw things around like, Oh, he's a criminal. It's like, we don't even believe in most of those laws, you know, like possession and things like that. We we don't even believe in that, but, um, sorry, I was just gonna say, you said you, you didn't think he, you know, deserved to be, um, like a martyr or anything like that. I can't. I see that side of it. I also kind of disagree. I think he did, but for a completely different reason than he was. Mm-hmm. Um, they made him a martyr for their reason, but I that's think he my point. Yeah, and I get it. Um, mm-hmm. He should have been a martyr for the purpose of like police brutality in the same way that like Dun- Duncan Lemp should be, Breonna Taylor should be. Um, who was the kid who was killed in the hotel in Mesa by the cop? Mesa, uh, Arizona, I, I can never remember. Yeah, I can never remember his name, but I mean something like that right that's a perfect example of like this dude was literally on his hands and knees and he was gunned down in cold blood or uh one of the examples that i heard of um 
I don't say like a year ago, probably like six months ago was, I think his name was Khalif Browder. Um, it was something like that, but, um, this kid was accused of a crime and thrown in solitary confinement, abused in prison. And he ended up hanging himself after he got out of prison. Like this was a very, very nice kid. And his mom literally came out to him, his body hitting the wall of their house. Like, could you imagine a kid who is innocent and mm-hmm. now literally took his own life because he was so abused by the criminal justice system and nobody talks about that. You know, it's funny is that not even like the Black Lives Matter crowd really picked up on that. So, you know, where's the justice for these kind of victims where these people literally, they're completely innocent. And that's, it's so appalling to me to think that, a, you know, a kid, a 17 year old kid would take his life because he was put in solitary confinement and abused and clearly had so much trauma that he took his own life by hanging himself, you know, can we talk about that? Can we talk about a solution so that doesn't happen? I don't care about the race. I don't care about any of that. How can we stop that from happening? A mom is without her fucking son who was abused and accused falsely. How do you make a victim like that whole? I'm not for the death penalty, but you can't make people like that whole. That's absolutely horrible. But what we can do, we should talk about it and figure out how this never happens again. And that's not being talked about. No, I, I really think there's a reason for it too, which I didn't see, you know, a couple of years ago. And now I kind of do see it's because, you know, these systems are in place like the police, like the military and people want the other side to pay, you know, the side that they hate. And the, the biggest tool to do that is these tools, you know, the military and the police and stuff like that. So people, you know, they don't really want to admit that there is a problem because they want to eventually use that against their enemies and that's the problem right now like we're so divided as a society we've got two sides of people who just want to own the other side and make the other side pay and then you have a whole bunch of people in the middle who really are probably more than 50 percent of the population who just want to be left alone to live their life to raise their kids to you know go to a ball game whatever it happens to be but these two sides hate each other so much and they want to use every tool at their disposal to make the other side pay so i think that's why you didn't see you know, something come forward where it's like, we need to hold police accountable for brutality and things like that, because neither side really wants that. They want to be able to use the police to force the other side to do things. Um, And the perfect example, like the, you know, all the left wingers in Canada cheered for the police taking down the trucker convoy. And like a a year ago, they were like, defund the police. (laughs) And like, now they're like, yeah, take them down. And, you know, a year ago, the right wingers like, you know, take down the Black Lives Matter rally. And now they're like, look at the police, bunch of pigs and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, they really have, they just have a hatred that's so, you know, deep rooted and instilled in them that they won't see clearly, you know, a major problem in society because they just want to own the other side. And it's, it's pretty gross. And it's what's causing the division in our society, I think. Yeah. And I think I hate to play the both sides are just as bad, but, um, when you incentivize blood sport, it's kind of like, you know, blood begets blood where um, if you just want to win so bad that you're willing to do whatever it takes to win, then, you know, the other side, you're going to keep pushing each other into a corner and you're going to leave whatever means necessary on the table for them at all times. And, you know, where does that end? Well, it ends up in genocide sometimes because eventually people got no other options. So it's, I'm going to completely annihilate you. You're going to be off the face of the planet. And I don't think that's the right way to go. 
um, I, I see this rising trend on the right to be very, very pro GOP, which is fine if that works. And if you think that's the best way to reduce government, I'm cool with that. Um, uh, I say it all the time, but I'm 0% partisan on liberty, right? Whatever brings greater liberty and freedom in our life, I don't care, I'm for it. Um, Obviously, within reason, right? I'm not going to say, well, we have to genocide one whole country to have freedom all over the, obviously, you know, within reason. Um, but I see people wanting to get political power just for the sake of crushing the left, which I understand the sentiment, but where does that end? Where are you willing to stop and extend an arm to these people? And yes, there are some people that are beyond redemption, but are you willing to say that the, you know, 30 year union worker who's just voted left, you know, kind of like half heartedly for the last couple election cycles, um, are you willing to say he's an enemy who's just trying to feed his family working a union job? Yeah, unions donate to Democrats. Yeah, I hate it too. But like, at some point, you have to realize no matter what, we have to live on a planet with these people. Um, do you really want to crush every last little person who has a disagreement with you? Personally, I don't, I think as libertarians, we should try to extend all branches and wake up and bring as many people in as we possibly can. And if not, then, you know, obviously it's fine to separate from people and be away from people that you disagree with and spend more time with people that you more so, you know, share culture with. But at the same time, we shouldn't be so exclusionary and gatekeep so freaking hard that, you know, we don't get anywhere and we're just constantly you know, competing for who can own the other person the most. Yeah, well, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's funny you say that about like, you know, getting political power and owning the other side and stuff like that. I used to say that 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, starting out in journalism and seeing, you know, people forget that the right wing owned a lot of the culture. Like mm. they didn't own schools. Uh, they, were, they were losing their grip on, on schools. Um, they were losing their grip or they probably lost their grip on Hollywood by that point. Um, but Hollywood didn't have the kind of power it did. Like when Iraq was starting, there was a lot of actors who were opposed to that. And George Bush was able to squash them. And, you know, the Dixie chicks came out against the Iraq war and they were able to squash them because the right wing held a lot of the, the culture. And I remember tell, talking to my friends about this, you know, who were right wingers back then. And their whole thing was just like own the left. Like, you know, make them pay and blah, blah, blah. And I remember just being like, you know, they're going to seize the power and use it against you. They're going to make you pay. And now I say the same thing to left wingers, you know, my friends who are left wingers. I'm like, you, you guys realize they're going to gain power again. They're going to make you suffer. And that's kind of what Trump was, right? Trump was voted in to make left wingers suffer. And now they've kind of got the power back. You know, they got Biden in there and the whole thing is make right wingers suffer. And again, it's just going to go in this cycle that you know, 50% of the country or 50% of society doesn't want anything to do with it. They right. don't want to be, you know, screwed over by this whole thing. And then there's these little small groups who just keep grabbing up power and using it to, you know, crush this other small group. But in, you know, meanwhile, they have all this collateral damage of half a society that they're also screwing over. So I don't think it's a good recipe, especially if you want to have a country that's going to be able to coexist. Um, I don't see it. Like I, I, you know, I've, I've talked about secession a lot. I think, you know, I, I think Canada is going to have to break up at some point. I'll, I definitely think the state's going to have to break up sooner than later if they're yeah. going to actually survive. But yeah, it, it's um, the whole Ron DeSantis deal has kind of brought this to my attention, at least the most. 
And I, I like some of the stuff that he does, but then you see some of the other stuff. It's some of the collateral damage along the way. And I, I get incentivizing, you know, or, or setting up the structure so leftists won't come. But the problem is you're banking on one guy and you're hoping that that never doesn't go your way. That's like going to the lottery and throwing your entire life savings on the uh, fucking slot machine and just rolling. Like you could win, but you could also lose. And when you lose, you're going to leave empty handed and it's going to be bad. So, and I've praised the uh, paleo libertarian guys and the guys who want to do the GOP route plenty because it's like, okay, well, they're offering a flawed solution. They acknowledge it's a flawed solution, but they're trying to work on it. And so the LP people, but you know, I give people credit for, putting forth a solution rather than just sitting here and playing circle jerk and come on the cracker about who's going to get Dan Capistan faster while arguing on Twitter. Like I'm I'm so past that. I don't care about that, (laughs) but um, you gotta, I just, I don't know what the exact correct path forward is, but I don't think the trajectory of blood sport for the sake of punishing your enemies um, 100% of the time is the correct path forward. Like, yeah, you can have some victories, but at a certain point, um, maybe giving the other side a swirly 24-7 probably isn't the best idea. <laughs> no, and there's the old expression, it's cliche, but you catch more flies with honey. You know, I've actually never heard that saying. <laughs> oh, no? Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. We really like honey up here, but it is an expression that we use a lot where, you know, it's uh, if you're nicer to people and sweeter, you tend to get more people on your side than if you're sort of, I guess, vinegar or if you're, hard to tolerate or stuff like that but yeah i mean if you're gonna be a jerk to everybody and screw everybody over eventually you're gonna get to a point where people aren't gonna like you or they you know they're gonna try to screw you over Mm -hmm. um and if you make florida a place that's so intolerable for people then you know you're not you're not necessarily always gonna keep the people happy that have been keeping you in power um, cause it may come a day where you also do something that rubs them the wrong way. And then they're like, ah, you know what, we're going to go against you now. So, um, I don't know what's going to happen with the whole DeSantis thing. He's, I mean, you know, he's going to be in a bit of a dog fight, I think, cause they're going to throw everything they can at him. Kind of like what they did with, uh, Beto O'Rourke in, in Texas. Um, you know, the, the Dems are going to throw everything they possibly can at him. So he's, he's going to be in for dog fight. Um, but it's going to be interesting to watch that because yeah, this, the strategy, the paleo strategy, we're kind of going to see it on display in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think DeSantis would consider himself a, a paleo libertarian. Um, I doubt he would, but you know, that's, he's kind of running that strategy a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. You'll be uh, sitting up there uh, just kind of watching everything, you know, blaze on fire down here. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> well, definitely what yeah. it seems like. <laughs> it's it's weird being a canadian and and knowing so many americans like i know a ton of americans um, mm-hmm. a lot of people in in pittsburgh um and you know it's weird to kind of having it flip because we always know what's going on in the states right like i obviously all our all our tv is you know fixated on the, what's going on in the u.s because we are closely tied to it was weird to see the role reversal when everyone was fixated on Ottawa because Ottawa is just this sleepy city where nothing really ever happens. Yeah. And the whole world was watching Ottawa. I was like, wow, this is weird to see, you know, Clint from Liberty lockdown talking about Ottawa, like Dave Smith talking about Ottawa. I'm like, they, they've never been here probably, or they probably don't even know where it is, but it was, it was kind of funny to see. 
you know, I could kind of empathize with that because the synagogue shooting here in Pittsburgh, I remember when that happened, everyone was talking about it. And it's like, man, I like, I've driven past that before. Uh, one of my coworkers, I think he was baptized there or something like that. Like I know wow. people who kind of go to this church, actually the last place I worked for, I can't say the uh, name of the individual, but um, he was a frequent member at that specific synagogue and he spoke at, um, the company's luncheon with over a thousand people. So um, it was, it was very interesting to kind of be around that, live around that. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I've been, okay. I've been down there. I've been down there. <laughs> yeah. um, I've been, I've been around that, that synagogue as well. I, I knew where it was, mm-hmm. but uh, I never been inside of it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy when the whole, the whole world's eyes are on your little place. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a kind of a point where everybody was talking about anti-Semitism, but really I I don't think there's like this big anti-Semitism streak that uh, everybody kind of talks about. Uh, There's some goofballs as there always is, no matter what. Um, Mm -hmm. We've been rock and roll for about an hour, dude. I've really enjoyed this show. So um, maybe we'll set something up again and uh, you know, shoot the shit a little bit more Um, Where can Everybody find you. And uh, you know, what else you got going on cool here in the future? Yeah, uh, well, you can find me Facebook, Instagram at uh, author Josh Sabalski. I uh, got another book, uh, trying to get an agent for it right now. So we'll see uh, see how that plays out. It's not exactly easy to get an agent. Is so I done? gave myself a year. The book's, yeah, the book's done. Um, oh, no shit. I, cool. It's going to need an editor. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my part in it is done at least. Cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to get an agent. I told myself. Um, I would give myself a year to try to find an agent. So I've, I've had maybe a month and a half that I sent my letters out. So we'll see if I get anybody in a year and if not, I'll just self publish again. So I might have something coming out. It'll be uh, 2023 if I do put something out. Um, and then I, I just wrote uh, what will be the book after that as well. So I've got two manuscripts done. Um, and then uh, I'm actually uh, trying to pitch my first book as a TV series. So actually I write with a guy from Pittsburgh as well. Uh, so we wrote the TV series for second story work. So we're going to pitch that, see if we can make anything happen, try to make a Canadian TV show out of it. Who knows? We'll see. It's not easy, but, uh, you know, I've been grinding at it for close to 20 years. I'm just going to keep doing it. Holy hell, dude. You got a lot of irons in the fire. That's awesome. Yeah. Last time I heard you on a couple different shows, you said, Oh yeah, it's going to be a while before I uh, get any books out. But, uh, sounds like you've, uh, <laughs> You've just fucking went to work, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I spent uh, like six weeks at a hospital with no internet and no TV. Mm-hmm. Um, all I had was my laptop. So I just cranked out two manuscripts while I was, I had literally nothing to do except lay in bed. Uh, so I just cranked out two manuscripts when I was <laughs> laying in a hospital bed. So yeah, we'll see what I do with them. Holy hell. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Well, uh, I'll definitely have you back on anytime you want, man. This was a really cool conversation and uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Um, yeah, dude. Um, anything else you got cool going on? Anything else cool I got going? Well, yeah. uh, we are uh, hopefully next month. We're starting a podcast myself and a buddy of mine. It will be called second story. We'll see. We've been trying. He does not have, he lives in the country and does not have internet yet. So we're trying to figure out an internet solution for him. Um, so that we can actually pull this thing off, but we're, we're hoping he's going to get Starlink. So that's fingers crossed. He's supposed to get it this year. Uh-huh. We'll see when it happens, but that's, uh, that's sort of the hold up there, but yeah, hopefully do something soon with that. 
Hell yeah, man. All right. Well, uh, I got your book in the description below and I got your Twitter as well. So uh, with that, I guess uh, everybody take care and thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.